welcome to a supersized edition of the Fishcast. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to Florida State University running backs coach David Johnson for a special interview last week. So this week we get back down to the good old nitty gritty when we talk some NFL draft, catch up on recruiting, catch up on some other news as Jimbo Fisher throws down the gauntlet on Alabama this week. Love but it. Before we do that, let's get to our introductions. First of all, the man of the hour, the tower of power himself, Charles Fishbein. How you doing, Fish? Never better, man. Never better. I think he's becoming a baseball guy, Corey. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> hit a home run this week. I mean, he texted me. He called. He was so hyped up. He was, he was more. I think he ran the bases with Ethan when he hit the home run. I think they ran the bases together. Listen, when he, base coach. when he I ran, literally think, I literally think Charles <laughs> jumped out of the stands and ran the bases with him. When he ran, he, when he rounded second, I did start to run. <laughs> <laughs> and that it happens. You know, I was I was down here for some uh, family issues last week, and I I wish I would have been able to go to a game because I would I wanted to see baseball dad fish and fish up close. Yeah. Oh uh, man! And of course. The other tower of power, too sweet to be sour, well-traveled college football coach, Chris Demaris. How you doing, Coach Demo? Corey Long, it's always great to hear from you, buddy. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We're going to get right into the draft. And, yeah, we're a little late. But like I said, this, that's, that's my fault. I had some family issues, and I couldn't uh, do the cast last week. We're going to talk about it. Um. No real surprises early. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I always thought Trey Lance was going third. I didn't think. I mean, 49ers were going to trade up to get, you know, to replace Garoppolo with another Garoppolo. I mean, that just seemed, that just seemed goofy. <laughs> um, uh, so we'll start at number four. Kyle Pitts to the Atlanta Falcons. Interesting fit on a team that gave up, a team like they gave up about 45 points a game last year. Um Pitts isn't going to play DN, although he looks like one. But now I think was was Atlanta just thinking that they could score forty eight points a game and like win 48-45 every week? I got this. Uh, uh, last podcast we talked about how the offenses are changing the dynamics of football. Let me just read you some some things here. Offensive players were taken with each of the first seven picks of the draft. Eight quarterbacks through the top three rounds were the most in the common draft ever. It was the first time ever that at least five wide receivers were taken in each of the first three rounds. So we talk about how offenses is changing in the NFL. That's a, and you got a player like Pitts, so we all agree he's dynamic. It will change the way defenses have to play him in the NFL. So I think that's why they ended up going where they were because people want to outscore people now in the NFL. And the other thing that I found unique was this, and it goes back to the SEC. We had to talk about regional and all this stuff, and I, I don't have a problem with it. I think the best football is in the South anyway, and this, this, this really confirms it. 65 players were drafted from the SEC, the most ever by one conference, 65. At least one or more SEC players were drafted by every NFL team, not to mention free agents. So, Again, I know I got off the reservation a little bit, but I still believe the best football is down where you guys are. That's where the best football is. We can't argue it anymore. It's proven in the draft, okay? And then how the offense 
is taking over the NFL. They want to outscore people. And I think that's along the lines of what Atlanta did when they recruited, when they drafted Pitts. Yeah, Corey, I'll jump in real quick. Listen, I, I said with the Cowboys, they should draft Pitts. And, and every, you know, everybody I got in an argument with was, well, their defense is terrible. Well, their defense, they just drafted six guys. And I guarantee you, they're still not going to be that much better because it is an offensive league now. It's it just the, all the rules benefit all, all the offensive players. And to me, Pitts is a general manager save. Like if you're a GM and you draft Pitts, you are safe for another three years. Like he's almost guaranteed to not only be a starter, but one of the best tight ends in pro football. Like all these other guys are projects. There was like two or three guys in this draft outside the quarterbacks that were like guaranteed to be starters. Pitts and Chase were two of them. And that was my biggest issue. We'll get into it was with the Dolphins. The Dolphins had the third pick. They traded back and they got neither of these guys. So in my mind, they did not have a good draft because they basically took themselves out of the position to draft one of those guys that's guaranteed to not only be a starter, but a star in the NFL. Um, you know, and yeah, we'll skip to the Dolphins. And that's fine. I would have taken Panay Sewell. Once, once you got to that point, I thought Sewell was the guy. I mean, for one thing, you got to protect Tua. He's not a, you know, Tua's not, I'm not going to say he's not tough. I think he's tough, but he certainly is injury prone. He's dealt with them, you know, several times in his career now. And I think if you get an opportunity to get the best, you have to get the best left tackle in the game. I mean, the best left tackle prospect in the draft, you do it, especially when, like you said, everything else you pick, you're going to be getting. Like, I like Jaden Waddle. I think he's a hell of a player. I think if he plays all season, Devonta Smith doesn't win the Heisman Trophy because he's because Waddle's their best receiver probably. But he wasn't better than Jamar Chase, not better than Kyle Pitts. Uh, you know, you look at if you, if you if you need another position, like it's too early. They don't need cornerbacks. So I thought Sewell was the pick. I understand why they went after they, they want to get two of some weapons, but the best weapon you can give a quarterback is a left tackle at the end of the day, I think. There's there's no question. It's the most important position on the field, and that's why they're paid the most. I mean, the Dolphins, you could go all the way back to the Dave Wanstead era. I'll never forget his final thing the season before he got fired was, we know what the problem is and we got to fix it. And that meant he meant the offensive line. The Dolphins' offensive line since then has not been good. They still have not figured it out. And, and if you can go out and get, you saw with the Bucks last year with Tristan Wurst, you get a star tackle. It changes the whole dynamic of not only your offense, but the offensive line, what you could do up front. You're, you could call different plays. You protect your quarterback. It helps the run game out. I just, if I'm a GM, that's the one area. If you could have a 10-year vet guaranteed and that's what Sewell was was pretty much guaranteed a 10-year vet even if he doesn't work out at left tackle ta offensive linemen usually aren't bust in the first round at worst case you can move him to right tackle or move him in this inside he'll play and have a long productive career here's the one thing about offensive linemen and everybody will say oh we got another Quentin Nelson no you didn't there's only one Quentin Nelson man you didn't get another Quentin Nelson and, uh, you know, he played high school football up here uh, near me. But what happens is, unless you get the guy you're talking about in the first round, an offensive lineman, your best bet in the NFL is free agency to get an offensive lineman. 
if he's healthy, if he's been around for a while, because those guys can get in and fill, fill your voids and fill your needs right away. Just like you're talking about the guy that went to, uh, um, excuse me, uh, Tampa Bay. But yes, offensive linemen are just as critical to, to protect the quarterback than having skill position guys. You're exactly right. And, and here's the funny thing. And so they, the Lions take Sewell and, you know, we make fun of Dan Campbell and everybody, they're chest bumping and everything. If they like, man, they're kind of excited. But I look at them like they've already got a left tackle in Taylor Decker, who's established. They've got a center in Frank Rag now, who's probably one of the best in the league. You put Panay Sewell on the right side, and almost I'm like, you know, the Lions are not going to suck next year because they can't block. They might suck because they're the Lions. But they ain't going to be because they can't protect Jared Goff, who, you know, I don't know if he can still get the ball anywhere he needs to go, but he's going to feel a lot, lot more comfortable behind that line because they ain't no one's going to touch him. Yeah, but we t- once again, that GM and that coaching staff took a guy that guaranteed yeah. that they didn't screw this draft up. Exactly. Like they, it, it, they decided it, to be safe. They just and safe for that organization that screws up almost every draft. It, that's not one. a that's not a bad route to go. Yeah, I'm like uh, you know people were making fun of it, but I'm like guys, this is a you know this is like a <laughs> franchise quality tackle here. With an already good offensive line, and they, like you said, Charles, they're real. They're realizing that you know what we can strengthen the strength right now and just be better for. It. Like they're going to be better offensively just because they've got you know three top end players up front, and you know, and they're all you know they're all going to be there for a while. Corey, we know, and Demo knows. All right, there's like ten organizations you can count on to have a good draft, no matter where they're at. Like the Steelers, the Ravens. There's just some teams that could they could have a top five pick every year, and they screw it up. And the Lions are one of those teams that, no matter what, like that. We talked about it before the draft. You're like, oh, you know, we were talking about Pitts. I'm like, if you're a GM and you want to make sure you have a job in three years. Sewell is a pretty safe bet that you're going to still be getting a check every two weeks if you yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Corey, Corey, let me do this. Let, let, let me let me give you two players that I think are steals in this draft, and then you guys can debate that if you like. You already know how I feel about Tony. He went to the Giants. You already know how we feel about Trask. I thought he went to the perfect place behind uh, Tom Brady to work out. He's already working out with him. But here's two people that I think are – or sleepers in his draft that people have to be aware of the Marco Wilson kid uh, from out from uh, Florida. Okay. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Arizona Cardinals. He played, you know, I think he played at American heritage with the, uh, the Sertan kid and Sertan's dad. I think he's an outstanding football player. Unfortunately, a lot of people remember him uh, from the shoe incident against LSU, but I watched his film thoroughly. I think he's an outstanding player. I think they got a steal. And the other kid that I thought, could be a possible steal is the Anthony Schwartz kid, the wide receiver from Auburn. They went to Cleveland Browns. I think those two players will quietly be steals in the NFL draft. And where are they from? SEC. Demo with the SEC and the transfer portal. I mean, is he trying to get a job? I mean, I don't know. I don't want a job. I just speak. I just spit the truth. People know that. <laughs> well, we can we can always get into that. Um, yeah, I, I, I like I like Marco too, and I'm with you. I think Marco got you know I think he, he took some a lot of heat for the shoe incident. I don't know that it really ruined his draft stock. I don't know that how much coaches are going to put into that one incident when you got you know he, he started for three years or at least he was a, started for two years and was a major contributor for a third. 
So he's got a lot of film out there on him. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a fourth round pick, I thought it was great value. I thought my Jets getting a Nasal Dean in the sixth round was, and moving him to linebacker is very good value because he basically was a linebacker at, at Florida State. I mean, there's different, you know, we can go talk about top guys in the, and we're, we're going to get into some of, especially the guys from uh, the state colleges in a bit. Um, it took a while. It took actually took nine picks for the first uh, player out of Florida to get selected. That was uh, Patrick Sertain who got selected by the Broncos. And then, you know, the state did what the state does. Um, you know, you got Mac Jones at 15 from Jacksonville. You got Alex Leatherwood at 17 from, um, he's from Pensacola, I believe. Yes, you're um, right. After him, I think, and I'm looking now, I'm kind of guessing. I, I know uh, Gregory Rousseau is from uh, down your way, Charles, out in Hollywood. And then, I, I and, then, and then you have the Newsome kid who went Newsom, to, yes. yeah, he went to IMG, even though it's, he was from Chicago. Okay. There were six Florida kids drafted in the first round, 32 overall. I, there's 37 if you count the IMG kids. Yeah. Seven, um, six from American Heritage. I, I, I said this before, and you can't take anything away from St. Thomas. They have a great program. But I felt like two years ago, Heritage had the better pro prospects. And that yeah. that wor- seemed to work out. Like when you went there and you saw Brian Burns and then you saw these young kids like Patrick Sertain and you saw uh, the Wilson kid, there was two of them uh, at, at the same school at the same time, the brothers. And, and you look at the players that came through Heritage from Schwartz to, you know, Slayton was a kid that got drafted as a D tackle. I always felt he was an offensive guard and would have been, I mean, if the, I thought the kid could have been like a first or second round guard. And hopefully for his sake, somebody within the NFL will convince him, listen, man, it's great to play T tackle, but if you want a long productive career, come over to this side and you can make a lot of money for a long time. Can you, can you do that at the NFL level or are we too far? Like, I just don't see guys moving from offense to defense. It's, happened, no, be- it's no. happened before. It's not, not, it's a not lot. common, but I mean, you know, it's if he wants a career, that's where he what he needs to do. He needs to go on the practice squad, learn that side of the ball for a year, and you know, hopefully, you could develop him because he's not a defensive tackle. He's just he's he doesn't have great burst. He doesn't have the traits to be. He's basically going to just eat up blocks. And those type of guys, with the way the game's played now, are 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 useless. They're just not, they don't exist. The Ted Washingtons of the world aren't don't exist anymore in the NFL. Yeah. All right. So um, let's see. Let's continue to go through this draft, and we're going to get now. We're going. I'm going to. We're going to isolate a little bit more on the state schools now. Uh, Florida has two guys picked in the first round. We already talked about Kyle Pitts. Uh, Kadarius Tony goes uh, number twenty to the Giants. Um, thoughts on Kadarius Tony? Is that a little high? Was that the right spot for him? Uh, do you like that pick for him with the Giants with a Daniel Jones stone in the football, presumably for at least a year? This is a big one for you, Demo. You got to watch a lot of Giants games each week, being that no, you live in Jersey. Yeah. So, no, uh, I do. And, so, and, and go ahead, go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. I mean, is this pick, is this pick kind of everybody kind of like this area for Tony? Was this the right pick, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know that I like this kid a ton. I watched him on film, and I, I like him a ton. And, and, and the biggest question mark, obviously, what you were saying was his health, health, his uh, injury. Will, will, will he be available throughout the whole season? Because if he is, he's a dangerous type of kid. 
And I do think it fits in well with what the Giants are trying to do offensively. I think he's a great pick for the Giants. You know, I think, you know, you got Saquon Barkley coming back. Jones will be back. They got those tight ends up there. I think he adds a dimension to the offense that's really going to be special for the Giants if he stays healthy. You know, we've talked about that. But I think if he could do what he did on film in the NFL or some sort of it similar to it, he'll be a terror up there uh, for that conference in the NFC. Yeah. I mean, you guys may think I'm crazy. I think the Giants are a potential NFC East uh, winner. I, I do too. I, I think they built this team. I know, you know, Daniel Jones has been there now like three or four years. They played well at the end of last year. They fixed some of the problems on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, Daniel Jones hasn't had a lot of help on that side of the ball. And you look at Saquon, he's coming back. Tony gives them that deep threat that they didn't have. They had a lot of these same type of receivers. He's the one that could kind of stretch the field. And if you could stretch the field with him, I think the Ingram kid, the tight end, can have a lot better uh, season too because Tony's going to open up that middle of the field where that uh, Ingram can kind of just take advantage of a lot of defenses. I, I think this was a very good pick. I, I thought the Giants didn't panic. The guys they wanted weren't there. They moved back in the draft. They still got a guy that could help their offense. And they always seem to be one of those organizations that figures out the draft. Even when fans don't like the picks, they those kids usually turn out to be pretty good. It doesn't hurt that that guy was uh, on Belichick's staff either, uh, the head guy up there, you know? No doubt. Well, I'm going to throw this one stat at you. It's going to blow your mind. No player from Michigan State University was drafted first time in over 80 years. Yeah. Big 10. That's amazing. Well, they also lost that coach that was there for like 30 years. And it's true. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to that program. True. Yeah. Um, other now, other, other state kids, state, state school players that were drafted in the first round, we got Jalen Phillips at 18, uh, going to the, going to the dolphins, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit. And of course, I mentioned we had Rousseau, Greg Rousseau going to the Buffalo Bills at 30. Now, I'm going to start and say, I like Rousseau. I like where he's going. So I think the Bills have a pretty complete roster. They were kind of, they were one of those teams like them, like the Browns and the Bucks. I thought we're drafting from a position of strength where they can just do work on filling depth. I think Rousseau fits as a situational pass rush guy as a rookie. And, you know, he has not played a lot of football. There's a lot of areas where he's got to improve that. And I think he's on the a right team because he doesn't have to be like there. He doesn't have to be a sack machine for those guys in year one. So I like that fit. Jalen Phillips, I'm going to let Fish start with that. I know you have a lot of opinions about him. I think that's kind of high for a guy with that sort of injury history. I know he had a great season, and in all due respect to him for having the season that he had, but I, I don't know. I mean, we told we're gonna, I think we're dumping on the Dolphins draft a bit, but this is a really questionable pick to me. Yeah, you know, my biggest issue is when guys are injured in college and to the level he's been injured, they're usually carry that on to the next level. And with the NFL and, their, and the CTE and these guys that have had concussion issues, this is a kid that almost had to give up football at UCLA. Now Miami found out a way to get him medically cleared. One of their doctors cleared him, but to spend that type of money and all it takes is him to get his bell rung one time and you may not have him for a year or even two years. It's a risky pick. 
I've always said those guys that have first round grades that you could get in round two or three. And this is one of them. Jail. I thought Jalen Phillips was one of those guys. Then it's worth the risk because once you get in and if the guaranteed money is not, it's not as high. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I just, I think the guys he's been injury prone. He's a good player. Um, I, I think he's shown that he has the ability to rush the passer. And, and you talked about Rousseau as well. Rousseau was a kid going on to him. That was a wide receiver in high school. So he only really had one year of film at university of Miami. And I think he could be as good as Calais Campbell, or he could be out of the league in three years. He's a high risk, high reward kid. Now you're taking him based on potential. You're not taking him off of what he did in the field because he only had one season really at university of Miami. And some of the sacks he had were against questionable offensive lines. One of them being Florida state, but Rousseau has more upside uh, like you said, I think he went to the perfect team because the Bills don't have to get him on the field next year. He could kind of just work his way into the rotation. The media in, in Buffalo isn't going to be hard on him, and he probably will develop into a Pro Bowl caliber player since he's gone to that organization. So I think he has more upside. Jalen Phillips is a better football player right now, but those question marks, those, there's some teams that took him off their draft board. I spoke to one of those teams uh, a scout for one of those teams. And he said, fish, we don't even have them on our board because of uh, the medical issues. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and following both their careers. One of them, like I said, Rousseau has a greater upside and it's going to be interesting to see if he fulfills that potential. You know, the draft, I, I do compare to recruiting sometimes, sometimes it's not even close. Sometimes it is. Well, in a draft, if you draft a kid, just like in college, if you recruit a kid, you better be able to work with that kid once you get him there. Whatever it may be, whether it's physically or mentally, you better have people on your staff that can deal with these kids on the field, off the field, et cetera, or you're going to lose. It doesn't matter what they come there with. And that's why I think it's so important that the young men, especially being recruited, but now we're talking about the NFL draft, where they don't have a choice where to go. They have to go where they're picked. That a lot of times you see people disgruntled because they, like, they don't want to go there. For instance, I saw the look on Justin Fields' face when the Chicago Bears drafted him. It was a look of like, oh, man, no way. Because here's a quote by Jim McMahon. Quarterbacks go to Chicago to die. That's what he said. So that's why it's so important to me to have a guy go to the right place and fit, regardless of whatever situation he's in, mentally, physically, et cetera. There better be somebody at that facility that can handle this young man and help him through some tough times because they're going to come. And sometimes these guys aren't used to that because they're so used to being successful that when they hit a situation where it is a tough period of time, they don't know how to deal with it. So that's my only uh, point on that. No, organizations make a big deal. I mean, it's where you go is big. I mean, you know, you look at the Bucks, and before Brady got there, I mean, you know, they did not support their former players brady comes in they got him what he needed and they won a super bowl now as great as brady brady is they still brought in a lot of pieces whether it was gronk antonio brown they uh bring in tristan worse i think they brought in a center all of a sudden the team the organization finally figured it out that you gotta put pieces around a quarterback especially a quarterback or they're not gonna have success and that's why so many of these guys fail as quarterbacks. It's not like they forgot how to play. They just yeah. go to bad organizations. 
And the Emma Buck situation was a, was a strange one because, you know, they never really showed any sort of, they never showed any sort of, you know, sense of urgency until they got there. Then it was all of a sudden, let's load up the roster. Before then, it was kind of, let's slowly this thing. I, I didn't really, you know, I never understood. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And sometimes you need a guy to come in and tell you what you're doing wrong. I think Tom Brady can do that. Uh, did that for them. Uh, they ended up drafting Joe Tryon in the first round of Washington. By the way, again, they were drafting on a position of strength. They could have literally drafted anyone. And we're going to get into their second round pick when we come back for part two of our draft chat. Chat of this uh, supersized edition of the podcast of the Fishcast. Um, moving into the second round, the next plan talking about kind of recruiting overachievers. Pick coming in at forty, also in the Atlanta Falcons, Richie Grant out of UCF. Uh, I think he uh, played high school ball out in Fort Walton Beach. Might have been at Choctaw. Uh, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Where he, yeah, I know. Did he play Choctaw? Yeah, it's where he went, Choctaw High School. Okay. I know that his other offers, his other scholarship offers besides UCF, I think were Georgia State, Kennesaw State, maybe like VMI or the Citadel was in there as well. It, was, uh, it wasn't a lot, but he decided to go to UCF. And lo and behold, four years later, he's a top 40 pick in the NFL draft. And it just shows you that, you know, every kid develops at a different state. And, and it's something that I've tried to, you know, I've tried to preach when I talk to kids about selecting schools now is that, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say I want a power five offer. It's easy to say I want to play in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, wherever. But you got to look and see if there's a plan for you to get on the field wherever you go. I mean, you know, and, and for a kid like Richie Grant, UCF presented him a plan to get on the field of play to develop him. And look where it got him. And it's just another sign that, you know, that, you know, not everybody's going to go power five. Not everybody's going to go where they want to go. Not everybody's going to play in the SEC. Make sure that where you go, the program has a plan for developing you and a plan for getting you on the field. I mean, I'm going to jump in. You know, I remember a, a few years back. I mean, you're talking probably like seven, eight years ago. There was a kid that came out of Coral Springs Charter High School. Now, he wasn't a Miami or a Florida, Florida State level kid. But he went to UConn and he ended up a second round pick by the Patriots. And, I, you know, someone said to me, oh, did he get overlooked or this or that? I said, listen, some kids are not meant to go to big time programs because it's a business. All right. And once you go to LSU, you go to Miami, you go to Alabama, if you don't pan out in year one or two, it's a business. They're going to over-recruit you. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. 
but you go to UConn, you go to UCF, those kids have to pan out for those coaches to have success. So they put more time and effort and are willing to take the time to develop you. It's, it's a, there's, so that's why it's smart that some kids, these kids all want to go to these big schools, go where you could play and get on the field. Forget about the big name brand. Not every kid is meant to play at those big name schools. And that's why so many of those guys two, three, and you don't know what a kid's going to look like in two or three years. Once he gets into a college weight program, he he's going to develop. He has time. He doesn't have that pressure at a school, whether it's a UConn. I listen, I'd recommend kids looking at UMass. You could get on the field and honestly step on campus next week and start. That's how bad they are. So, I mean, you, you have to go to these schools that give you an opportunity. And this is where these high school coaches and these street agents and all these handlers need a, if you're going to really help these kids out, say, listen, let's pick a school where you could go, you could play right away. You're going to develop at your own pace. There's zero pressure on you. And let's do that because at the end of the day, if you're successful, college coaches are going to want to come back to that high school and recruit another kid. They don't want, you know, you, they don't want to see these kids. If you're a big time program, I spoke to a school a couple of weeks ago and they said, fish, we took two kids out of that school and both of them were bust. Now it's very hard for me to convince my coach to go back into that school. Now I'm not going to mention the school because they got some good players. And I said, coach, what happens is, is a lot of these schools and you take a St. Thomas, for example, they have kids that, yes, they could go to the Alabamas, they go to the, these other schools, but then they have these kids that really should be going to Bowling Green, the University of Ohio's, the Mac schools, but those kids are going to a Syracuse, they're going to a Kentucky, and they're not good enough to play there, but those schools recruit them because it's a St. Thomas kid, and that's where you don't want to have that problem. Let me just jump in here for a second. <clears throat> There was a high school coach up here where I'm from in a very powerful high school. He had a very highly rated kid coming out of high school. Could have went anywhere in the country. He told that kid, listen, if you stay local, I can protect you a little bit. I can say this or that and do this and that. I can protect you. But if you go south where you're talking about going, I can't protect you. you you're on your own. Because now it's, it's blood for blood. It's, it, it's, it's every kid giving it every day. And they're going to play. I can't protect you. So I thought that was very good advice from a head football coach coming from a place up here where I'm from. Stay local. I can protect you. It's a safe landing spot. Go there where you want to go, where the kid ended up going and became a great player. Go there. I can't protect you. It's the best of the best. And the kid said, no, I believe in myself. I'm going there. And he did. And he did exactly what he said. So it's along the lines of what you're talking about, Fish. You really got to give these kids really good advice. And then they have to make their own decision. But the good advice you give them, because what happens if you have to go back to that guy again yeah. and again and again, the head coach? Yeah. What are you, you going to do? Listen to him or not? But if he exactly. gives you the truth, it gives the kid the truth, you'll go back to him. Exactly. Um, moving, on, moving on, the next uh... – Florida State got on the board with their first draft pick of the uh, 2021 draft at 47 when the Chargers took Asante Samuel Jr. Who yep, we, but we knew that. Extent, and really, and we all seem to really like Asante and like that pick. Yeah, we um, talked about that. Yep. Um, kind of going through the rest of the second round, Tutu Atwell, I think, was uh, out of Louisville, goes to the Rams. He's a Miami kid, right? Yeah, he went to Miami Northwestern, was a quarterback. Um, 
you know, what's crazy is that I'll go a quick story is when Tutu came out, he took over a Northwestern team that hadn't been in the playoffs. Miami Central was tattooing them every year for the last three years. By his senior year, they beat Miami Central, won a state title, and he was the reason why. And that's why I was so high on him is that if you could do it at that school, at that level, and take your team and make them better and make all the players around you better, I thought he was a big three kid, and he ended up going to Louisville and having a great career. Yep. And, of course, closing out the second round where the debate begins, the Bucks take Kyle Trask. If there's ever a place where I don't want a rookie quarterback going, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I say look at their history, and you'll see why. That being said, maybe that's if not. Tom Brady wasn't there. Well, uh, I mean, any how many quarterbacks that have played under Tom Brady have really won on to success? You know, I think the Patriots are still waiting for uh, it's like kid out of Auburn's name, Jason Stidham, to start a game there. Whatever, yeah. I mean, they didn't yeah. want it to happen. He didn't want it to happen up there. It might have been Belichick more than him, but right now, Trask went to the ideal place to get tutored by Brady for the next year or two and then take over. Anyway, that's my opinion. Charles, you and I both know what we think about the Bucks and rookie quarterbacks and how little they really support them. I feel bad for whoever's coming in after Tom Brady. It's just not going to work. I, I, I'll tell you that's not going to – because for one thing, by then they're going to be ca- they're going to be cap-strapped. I mean, they're not going to be – you know, they're not going to be – all those veterans that you see now ain't going to be there. Yeah, but they got, they've got Trask on a rookie contract, and the fact that it's not a first-round contract, it's actually not a bad situation. Listen, it's going to come down to what they put around them. I'm a big Trask fan, too. I thought somebody in the first round would have come up and drafted him, but it's going to come down to who they put around him. He's gonna, You know he's going to have a pretty good offensive line. The Bucs are going to face uh, cap hell in like two years from now when all these guys' contracts come up. But that's also a good reason to have a quarterback, basically. I, I mean, he's pennies on the dollar. So if he pans out, it's a good situation. They're not going to have that big of an investment in him. And I think it could be a pretty good situation for him, uh, especially with their cap situation. Yeah, I thought it was the Steelers behind Ben, but it's even better now that it's the Bucks behind Brady. I, I just think that what Fish just mentioned, in a couple of years, they're going to have to revamp their whole, their whole roster anyway because of the cap. But for right now, for him to sit behind Brady and get tutored, they're already thrown together. It's already reported that they're already thrown together. So what other, but I don't think Brady wanted anybody to surpass him or be better than him or be the guy in New England. But down here in Tampa, I think he does. So I think Trask is at the right spot. Yeah, I mean, and Brady already made his legacy with the Patriots. So that pressure of following Brady is really on the Patriots. It's not, whatever he did with the Bucs was just uh, icing on the cake. Like, honestly, as much as people wanted to believe last year, I don't think too many people believed they were going to win a Super Bowl in their first year. They did. And the pressure of the next quarterback there, I don't think is that great compared to what it was at New England. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Because I, like I, said, I, don't, I don't think I have much around Kyle Trask in three years for him to do much <laughs> with, unfortunately, <laughs> given the way their situation, their cap situation is going to be. But they are drafting well, so that yeah. – that, that can help them out in certain ways. Yeah. Um, more doing now, now doing a little bit of an overview as I look at my uh, my list of drafts by school. Uh, UCF, Don't open it up, baby. I got some info. Okay. Well, for let me finish. The UCF got five players drafted this past year. Excellent job for them. Um, Florida had eight. Uh, Florida State had four. We're going to get to Florida State in a second. 
Um, Miami ended up having, they had four as well. Um, it just seemed like every other pick was a Georgia player for the final like six rounds. They had nine players selected. Alabama and Ohio State had 10 apiece that uh, led the group. Um, real quickly, before we get into an overall draft thing, I want to talk about two players that weren't drafted out of Florida State. Uh, Tamari and Terry and Marvin Wilson both had kind of mid-ground, mid-range, you know, mid-round uh, draft grades. Wilson ends up getting a pretty good um, money for as an undrafted free agent, gets a $30,000 signing bonus and a $162,000 base guarantee from the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Terry ends up at Seattle, where I actually think he, it's a good situation. Is uh, They did not have a lot of picks. I think they had three picks overall. And Pete Carroll talked about, you know, how they were going to – they were really targeting a lot. They, they really were going to be targeting the undrafted that they wanted. They had a pretty big list of them. So they might have both ended up in decent situations. But my question to you is – did they make a huge mistake by going back to Tallahassee this year? And did that just work against them? Not only from a standpoint that the team wasn't very good, but there seemed to be a lot of negative, negative energy around both of those kids. And I don't think it was all their fault. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not think it was all their fault. I think there were, there was just a lot of negative energy around them and it just, it, you know, and I, and I think it just it just followed them into the draft. So I'm, I'm gonna let you guys talk about that. Listen, I I don't think you're. Not, I'm not gonna blame Coach Norvell or blame Jimbo. I, I'm not one of the. I think the university let those two kids down more than anything because they were recruited by Jimbo Fisher, both players. Then they had Taggart, and then they got Norvell. They they basically had three coaches in three years. They were very loyal to Jimbo, and then. They liked Taggart and they felt like he let them down. I personally, I, I think if Norvell had a second go around and he knew what he was going to go into next, last year, he would have told those kids, listen, this is a rebuild process. You guys need to take whatever you can, go to the NFL. We're going to build this thing from scratch. Because those kids, once the season started to go south, like at the end of the day, you know, I mean, if kids are leaving, you know, and not going to bowl games, what are they going to do on a team that they're not winning? They're going to pack it in and you can't blame them now because they're trying. And that ended up costing them both from being drafted. I just think they both got a bad rep. I mean, you've met Marvin. I think you've met Marvin Wilson. I've, I've met him. He's a good kid. Terry's not a bad, these aren't bad kids. They're not like troublemakers no. off the field. They weren't getting arrested. They just made bad, you know, they made bad decisions on how they handled, you know, this past year. And listen, it's been a tough year on everybody. I, I think both of them should have been drafted and it's a pity that they weren't. And those people that sit there and cheer for them to go undrafted because they're upset at how they handled their uh, time in Tallahassee is ridiculous. I think that's just wrong altogether. Well, you know, <clears throat> I'll say this, whether it happened to these kids or not, the trend in society right now is to coddle all these kids. So when these kids do have a situation that they come up against called adversity, they don't know how to handle it because all they had is success or they've been told how great they are. So sometimes another, you have to get after a kid's rear end so he understands when adversity hits, whether the team stinks, the organization stinks, the, the people around the coaches stink, they know how to handle it because if it's the first time they experience it, it's going to be a bad situation. That's why I go back to saying when a kid gets recruited, he better make dug sure 
Okay. And I know some stuff is out of his hands because the guys got whacked and they got fired and all this stuff, but he better make sure those dudes can coach not only through good, but through adversity, they better be able to know how to handle a young man. And if they can't do that, okay, then there's going to be a problem. Whether the the new staff came in and thought they're the greatest thing and they couldn't handle them or Sometimes it's out of the kids' hands, but it's it's not when the university, like Fish said, yeah. has a chance to hire people that Doug on better make sure they can yeah. coach. But Demo, I will say, and maybe you agree or disagree. There's a trust factor, all right, and, and that trust factor between these players and that university went south. All right, they they were, like I said, they were recruited by Jimbo, then Jimbo left them. And then, you know, they felt kind of slighted. Then all of a sudden, Tagger comes in. They get close to him. He's gone. Like, all of a sudden, you've had three coaches in three years. You don't know which way to turn. Like, you're like, should I trust this new guy? Should I not trust him? I just think there's a lot more to it. I, listen, I believe, yeah, adversity makes you better. I mean, if, if you could handle it. But let's be honest, a lot of That's these the kids key. can't and handle, they handle it. And not many of them can. No. Nope. You know? That's because it goes back to earlier days when they're coddled by these youth coaches, these high school coaches, tell them how great they are. Then all of a sudden they get to a situation where they have to face adversity for the first time, and it's on panic level. They don't know how to handle it, nor do the guys that just coaching them don't know how to handle those kids. Okay, there's a certain way you have to understand and deal with these kids, and if you don't know how to do it, you're dust. Your program's dust. Your organization's dust. Everything's dust, and that's what happened at Florida State. That's why it's taking them so long to recover and they still have, they're still in a recovery period. Yep. Um, you know, question, and just expanding on the Marvin Wilson thing. Do you think the incident with Norvell that happened over the summer really, that that, 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 that really kind of, was that a red flag situation? And at the time, I think, you know, the, the at the time people were kind of mixed on their thoughts. I think some people maybe came down a little harder on Norvell, and I was one of them. I probably came down a little harder on Norvell than he deserved. Um, people came down harder on Wilson than he deserved because I mean I think he was just really trying to trying to see if he can get some accountability. At the end of the day, I don't think the offense was as bad as it was made out to be. I think you know Mike Norvell. He said some things. I think they were kind of throwaway quotes. I understand where Wilson was coming from because it was a very emotional time. And I mean, I mean, being a young man, being in a situation that you're in, you see people your age getting, you know, getting, getting, getting murdered by getting, getting seemingly, you know, murdered by policemen. It's very emotional. And you and you feel like, and you want a coach to kind of understand where you're coming from. And you know, from what I gather, they seem to squash it, but I don't know how much they really did. You know, I mean, you can say you did, but I don't know if they really did or, you know, hard to say, but did that incident sort of follow yeah, them? In the I mean, you, know the way that, you know the way these owners are. You know the way the I mean, NFL is. Corey, and, and I'm going to say one last thing before we get on to the next subject, and you know this, all right? If Marvin Wilson had been going into the NBA, it would have had zero effect because the players control that league. The NFL just doesn't like the players to really rock the apple cart. And if you are going on the internet at, and I'm not going to blame, listen, I was 18, 19 too. I made plenty of dumb decisions in my life. I'm still making them and I'm almost 50 now. All right. The kid made a bad decision and we could argue it or not. He went on the internet at two in the morning and blasted his coach, whether it was right or wrong. And I, I, you know, like I said, we all make mistakes. 
I just think those NFL owners are like, man, this is a kid we're going to invest a lot of money in. That's something that they're afraid of. They don't in the NFL, they don't like the players to be outspoken. And, and that I think costs Marvin a lot of money. And then Terry kind of went down that same road because he backed him. And then he kind of, you know, people said, Oh, well, he quit. Well, heck man, a lot of p- players opted out before their end of last season. So I think that's ridiculous. I mean, Terry got hurt by the same thing by, you know, you know, he wanted to be a little outspoken and these guys aren't good enough for people to take a flyer on in the third or fourth round and give guaranteed money to that's, that's what this comes down to. Marvin's not guaranteed anything right now. And neither's Terry. So, you know what, there's zero risk. They could basically cut them after many camps. So did they both make mistakes coming back? Yes. Did they both make mistakes in how they probably handle their situations? Most likely, but you know what? They shouldn't have been punished to the level they were. Well, listen, here's the bottom line. If they were Muhammad Ali, I love Muhammad Ali. He said what he wanted to say, but Muhammad Ali backed it up. He was the dude. He was the man. He was the greatest. Okay. If you you want to run your mouth, then you better be the greatest. You better be the greatest because you're going to get backlash if you're not. Okay. I know uh, what's his name going through some of this right now, but the bottom line is if this dude was real deal, none of this would be an issue. He'd already been drafted in the high rounds, but apparently he might not be as good. Where's he from? Texas? Yeah. Okay. Oh, stop it. Uh, all right we're gonna we're, we're we're done we're done with draft honestly. yes we're gonna come right back we're gonna talk some recruiting florida state picks up a couple players and florida just picks up one in the past day or so so we're gonna get some evaluations and some thoughts on all three of those guys we'll be right back with more of the fish cast segment of the fish cast we're talking about some recruiting Florida state uh the last two weeks just picked up a really really some maybe a game changer at quarterback and they also um took an offensive lineman first we're gonna talk about the quarterback aj duffy uh california player currently at img academy he was their number one target by far uh, he ends up being the second quarterback in their class, along with Arizona prospect Nico Marischal. Um, Duffy ends up picking the Seminoles over Arizona State and Michigan State. I know, Fish, you have liked this guy for a long time. I think, really, I think, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of this class was based around a couple of players, and A.J. Duffy is one of them. Um, this is massive for the Seminoles. It, it really changes their quarterback room. It changes a lot of things about that that program right now. Um, am I understating how big of a get this is? Well, you know what's on the ro- roster at Florida State. Uh, I think you basically tr- trashed the backups as much as you could without, you know, killing that horse all the way. But, I mean, he's the most important recruit of the Norvell era. If, if 
Coach Norvell is going to have success at Florida State, and they're going to turn this program around. And Demo will tell you the quarterback position is the single most important position, the single most important position in college football. It's pro high school. I don't care what level you are. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not winning ball games. AJ, the one thing that stood out on film, and, and Demo's going to talk about it. You know, it's his sophomore film, so let's not. He did play his junior year because California didn't play football. But the one thing that stood out to me was one, a super quick release. The kid's got great anticipation, and he can throw the ball down the field with a lot of accuracy. And Norvell wants the big play in his offense. If you if you give this kid a running game, and he could go play action. He will put the ball on a receiver and the guy doesn't have to turn around. You watch his anticipation and the way the ball comes out of his hand. He gives a court, you know, the receivers a great chance. Now, do you want to see more of those five and 10 yard passes? Those things, a lot of quarterbacks have high quarterback percentage because they throw only five and 10 yards, 15 yards. So that that's the part of his game that's going to have to be developed but you can see the arm talent. You know, they talk about arm talent. You look at the NFL draft. Hey, this kid can make all the throws. Well, AJ can make those throws, the deep outs. He could beat a cover two and get the ball in between a safety and a corner. He's, he's athletic enough to give you something in the run game. And I mean, arm talent wise, he's one of the most talented kids that Florida state's recruited over the last decade. I think he's a big time get now. One other thing, and Demo hasn't really evaluated Nico Miracle. Nico gives them that guy that has the underneath and and those shorter passes. You see his game is he has a little more well-rounded game. Now he doesn't have the same arm strength, but they are bringing in two guys that are going to fight for the starting job. Not this year, but the 2022 season is going to be an open competition. And one of these two guys is going to be counted on to help take FSU into the next decade and, and, and turn this program around. I'm a big Duffy fan. I think too, from a recruiting standpoint, other kids want to play for him. So you look at some of the kids that they're looking at, they're looking at top running backs and receivers because they landed this kid. He's going to help them land other players. And that's huge for them moving forward. Fish, before I talk about AJ, can you give me his measurables height and weight? He's about 6'2". I think he measured in at the Under Armour camp at 6'2", about 210, something like that. Okay. okay. When I watched this young man on film, he's a very good football player. That was his sophomore film. He puts the ball where it needs to go. So he has an understanding of the, at least that offense that he's in. When he rides the gun run read and the, and the backer comes up, he knows to hit those verticals. He's very accurate. He extends plays either through the protection that he has, which it seems like they're playing better teams, uh, lesser teams than them, or when he extends it with his feet. So he does those things. He seems to know where the ball has to go. He is accurate, and he does throw the deep ball. So those things are good. I want to see him play an IMG. That's what I want to see him play. I'm curious to see how he's going to do against the, the talent that IMG plays against. And I like to see the history. And I know this is off the subject a little, but I like to track the history of players that went to IMG and how well they've done in college and how they went to the NFL compared to an American Heritage or St. Thomas. I really like to see that because Rutgers took a quarterback a couple of years ago from there that supposedly had umpteen million offers. He's not even at Rutgers anymore. He entered the transfer portal. Now he's at Illinois. So I just like to see the track, the history of the, of the players that left IMG and where they went. It was all good when they're there. They got all these coaches come in, yada, yada, yada. What is the history of the players that left IMG. But anyway, back to AJ. I, I really think he's a good get, but 
but I do want to see him play his senior year uh, at IMG. And then the other player uh, that you talked about was this offensive yeah, lineman. Yeah, that's my spot. Don't oh, go ahead. Go, you got it, Corey. Go ahead. Don't, nail it. Don't, don't steal my thunder, my friend. Go ahead, brother. He's trying to be the host, man. Demo's trying no, to take you, over. You said evaluate the FSU players. I evaluate them. What do you want me to do? I know. We're, we're, you got to be patient. We're getting there. We're getting there right now. All right. So the second player FSU takes is a uh, is a large offensive lineman. Uh, comes in 6'6", 325. Alu Um, He also plays at IMG Academy. Where is he from originally, Fish? I, that I'm not sure. I, I hate Come to say on, that. Fish. I don't listen. I don't know where every IMG kid's from. He's he's definitely not from Florida. I think I believe he's from, from Georgia, Florida. but I could be wrong. Um, I looked at him a little bit. Um, guard. I think the, the listing as offensive tackle is pretty. Uh, that's pretty pretty hopeful. He looked like a big guard to me. Um, I'm very high on AJ. This one. This, this is a big body kid that they're going to have to develop here. Uh, what are your thoughts? All right, Coach Demo, you go first. Your thoughts on Aluba? Well, you know, I watched him on film, and I thought he has the size, but unfortunately I think he's a guard. I just don't think he's a tackle, you know. So if FSU needs guards, but if they keep recruiting these kind of body types that, or, or if kids may be slow with foot, et cetera, they have to move inside, they're going to eventually have to get two tackles. And I think this kid is an offensive guard after watching him. Uh, he moves well. And, and sometimes I let people that I know that are experienced in this area of offensive linemen watch the film and then get back to me and say what they think. They liked it. They liked, they liked to watch him on film. They liked what he did. And they had like a little workout film at the end of him when he was working out. And he did some nice things where he was kick sliding or, or slide protecting or whatever they were doing. But I think he's an offensive guard. Now, how's that sit well for Florida State? Maybe good. But in the future, they're going to have to draft uh, uh, recruit kids that are bona fide offensive tackles. I mean, part of the reason I think Corey will agree with this, the reason why they're in the position they are is they bypass these type of kids. That, hey, they're not perfect. They're flawed. They're going to have to be developed. But this is plan. These were the guys that they overlooked. A Stone Foresight who went to University of Florida. I remember people telling me, well, he didn't move well enough. Well, the guy just had a three-year career at Florida and now is in the draft. Like, offensive linemen have flaws. Is he? Does he struggle with the lateral quickness? Is he going to be a left tackle? No. The, we all agree. He's, a, he's either a right tackle or he's an inside guy playing guard. He can move well enough inside of a box. And with the way that Norvell likes to run power football, this kid at least gives them more size inside than what they have. They have a lot of guards that are like 6'2". This kid's at least 6'6". So he could take on somebody and at least stone them and not get overpowered. He's not going to get overpowered. Now his technique needs to improve. From what I've been told, he lost about 40 pounds from the time he played last year and that exercise video he did where he was doing some of that stuff. So they saw that video that he was moving better once he lost weight. But Demo can tell you more about this. When it comes to offense alignment, do they have size? Are they coachable? Are they, can they bend? Do they have a work ethic? It's, it's such an unexact size. Like it's so hard to evaluate offense alignment. But if the kid has all those traits and he's willing to work hard and go in the weight room and improve himself and get in better condition, you can't turn away these type of kids. That's why they're in the position they are. They were always looking for the perfect lineman. They don't, for every Evan Neal, there's 
30 of these type of kids. And then when you go past these kids and drop down even another level, it gets really bad. Like you have to take these guys because they're better than what you have now. See, we don't know a lot about this kid. Hopefully Florida State knows more than we do. We're opinionated. We watch them on film. That's all we see. They better get in there and know, does his heart pump Kool-Aid or does it pump blood? And if it does, is he working hard? Like the running back coach made a statement on us the other day. We're only recruiting kids here that want to bust their rear end and work hard and help us become a great program. Maybe he's one of those kids. There's some intangibles that this kid has that we do not know about. Well, one of the Florida things, State does. Yeah, I mean, Dima, one of the things real quick, and I'll get I'll get off the subject real quick, is um, you know, I w- I spoke to somebody that's close to this kid, and they said that he knew he did not perform to the level he should have last year, and on his own. He seeked yep. out uh, conditioning people and getting in better shape. And he told the colleges, listen, you know what? I didn't put I didn't have the effort and stuff that I needed last year. And he came back 40 pounds lighter. So that's a positive that he saw. He self-evaluated himself and realized he's not as where he needs to be. So if a kid's willing to see that and he's coachable and he's got the size, listen, you got to take a chance. I mean, they, their offensive line has been pitiful for like five years. And it's because they over-evaluate that position. They, and then they end up taking playing D or F and those kids can't play at Florida state at all. You see, these are the things that we have to know about. And you would assume that Florida state knows about that's a positive thing because every kid has flaws, whether whether it's mentally, physically, what have you, every single kid's going to have a flaw. How that kid handles that is determining whether he gets recruited by a power five school or power or less school. And then these power five schools can't make a mistake at a kid like that. But something like that is good to know because he took it upon himself to better himself. And that's, that's good. All right. And we got one more player and the Florida Gators uh, picked up a recruit last night from an athlete out of uh, Buford, Georgia, uh, Isaiah Bond, uh, 60, looks like about 175, 180. Uh, two-way type of kid um i could see i can i i can almost feel that both of you're going to think he wants to play corner i can look at him on the offensive end so he gives you some backfield options some perimeter options uh but you know you're both going to say that he needs to be a corner which is fine he probably does frankly um, demo's in the penalty box for this one demo's in the penalty box for this one i don't know if he got a chance to take a look at him i i did i did Uh, yeah it's okay it's all good you know uh, that's what makes us the best is because we don't bullshit our way through this. We actually, if we don't watch it, we admit, hey, listen, I didn't check the kid out. I like this kid a lot. Uh, anytime, you, the one thing is when you're recruiting, and I think Demo can agree with this, Corey, you can as well, is when you're recruiting, you want to recruit guys that are versatile enough to play more than one position. You don't want to recruit a kid that's just a receiver, and if receiver doesn't work out, he can't play corner or safety. That's how I like to evaluate kids. This kid can play either side of the ball at a very high level. I think the Gators got a very good commitment. Um, the kid's got a lot of speed. He could stretch the field. You watch his video. He's getting behind guys. And then on the defensive side of the ball, he's very aggressive. He comes up, he can, you know, tackle. I, I think the kid has all the ability to be a big time corner. Uh, wherever Florida wants to take him is fine with me. Listen, you can't have enough of these type of players on your roster. What happens a lot when you recruit kids, and I didn't see this kid, like you said, Fish, but when you get recruited to college, that's when they experiment with you on either side of the ball. Hey, he might be a defensive back. Hey, he might be a receiver. He might be this. He might be that. They experiment with that till they find a position for the kid and they hone in on it. 
when they get drafted to the NFL, for the most part, they've already done their homework on the kid. The kid's already played this position. That pretty much is the position they're drafting them as. It does happen. It's a very rarity. It does happen. But in the NFL, that's where they're going. In college, like Corey was saying, he could play either side of the ball. It's just a matter of where they see him fitting the best at Florida is probably where he'll fit in. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I, I do like I, I can't I obviously you can never have too many athletes like this on your team, you know, that can play either side of the ball that give you different options, both running. I mean, you look at him running back wide receiver, cornerback safety. That's four different positions on the field that he can grade out for. So that's always a good thing. So, you know, and that's the type of those are the type of athletes that Dan Mullen has gotten at Florida and, you know, and been able to pull off a lot of successful seasons with them. But we're going to be back. We're going to talk about some news. Jimbo Fisher says he's going to kick out, kick Nick Saban's ass this year. Nick Love Saban it. had a funny reply. Also, we're going to get into a, a big transfer. Unfortunately, we haven't talked about the transfer portal this week. Um, and Demo's acting like he's not going to say anything about it. I'm not he's saying not a word, but it's a great pick for Alabama. But anyway, keep going. Anyway, we'll be right back with the final segment of this edition of the Fishcast. fun time Jimbo Fisher makes a little bit of news by saying he was at a touchdown club one of his little A&M touchdown clubs somewhere out in I think Houston actually and he was caught on tape saying that he was going to beat Nick Saban's ass this year uh I think they play in Tuscaloosa this year and you know he laughed about it crowd had a good time Nick Saban got word of this and uh, he thinks about it for a second, and then he says, in golf? And then laughs about it and says, well, I'm sure there will come a day, you know. Is that what he's talking about, football? Or he was? Oh, he was? He used to be on my noontime basketball league. I guess we're no longer partners when it comes to that. Um, first and foremost, let's say uh, Jimbo's a long time assistant of Nick Saban. I do think they're friends. I don't think that there's a any sort of, I know Saban has a contact, has, a, has interesting relationships with his different coaches, but I do think that they're friends. Um, but I also think that, you know, Jimbo was very serious in believing that he's got the team that can beat Alabama this year, especially with Alabama losing so much. And of course, gaining so much more, but lo- losing so much. And uh, if nothing else, it makes for some great copy and great hype. And I, I think it's a genius move by Jimbo to say it. And before I get it, before I, before I let you guys speak, I'm going to tell you why. Recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. As a, as a, as a prospect, as a top prospect, you got to know that the school recruiting you thinks that you can, thinks that you're a top player. How do they think that you're a top player? We're recruiting you because we plan on beating Alabama's ass. And you're a guy that's going to help us beat Alabama's ass. 
I think it just elevates A&M more from a standpoint of getting the top kids that they want in their program by saying, this is what, this is what we're here to do. And you're one of the guys that's going to help us do it. And for as many kids that want to go to Alabama, there are as many kids that want to just beat Alabama. And he wants those kids. And those kids now are out there in and A&M is a great option for them beyond the fact that they, uh, you know, had a great season last year and Jimbo Fisher has already won a national title. I just, I just think it was wonderfully done. I think it's a great way to get some early spice on what should be an amazing game. And, you know, and also, and also, you know, a great opportunity for him to go into this camp season with the objective that he has in mind. And now I will let you speak. Thank you. Here's what I have to say about it. Number one, the head coach and the CEO of the program, that's somebody who I want to play for. I want that guy saying he's the best. I am the best. That's who I want to play for. And that's why he said it. Also, let's put this in the context. He said it in front of a booster club. What's he going to walk up there? After he's getting $10 million a year, he's going to walk up there and say, oh, we're going to give it the old college try to beat Alabama. No, he said, we're going to whoop their rear end. And that's what his, his spilling in his players and the recruits that come after. This is who we want to play. We want to be the best. We got to beat the best. And that's what he's saying. And we're going to go up against Alabama and do it. Now, he better be careful because the SEC is pretty good. And some of these other teams will sneak up on him and beat him. However, he was right in saying what he did, not only to help him recruiting, but also let the kids know that he practices with every day, who's on his roster. I got your back. I'm going to be the best. And that's who you guys want to play for. Let's go get him. And I, and I agree with Jimbo. I, listen, I like Jimbo and I like uh, Nick for what they do. But that's just the way I feel. It's my opinion. Listen, the head, yeah, I mean, the head coach is the, you know, basically the leader of that program. And, and you, as a coach, if you don't believe it, then your players aren't going to believe it, you know, and, and Jimbo's instilling, he, he did the, he did it at Florida state when he got there. He's like, listen, we're going to build a program to beat university of Florida. They're the one, they're the top dog. And he did it in season one, their game last year was competitive against uh, the team that ended up winning the national title. And it ended up the only loss. And you could see, you know, Jimbo has a plan. And when they lost to Alabama, they came back the following week and they believed they could beat Florida and did so like, so it, it's, he, he has that plan. He talks about the process and that process, those kids have seen while he's there that everything he said they've accomplished. Now he's saying, listen, we're good enough to beat the big dog. We're going to take them down. And I think those players have bought into it and believe it. And that's a lot of it's mental. I mean, you see it at the high school level. A lot of teams, when they step on the field against a St. Thomas Aquinas, a lot of them are physical enough to beat them. It's just that mental side. They see that helmet. They're like, oh, and they're out of the game before the first quarter. To beat them, you have to believe it. If you, don't believe, correct, if you do not believe you can beat a team, I don't care how many athletes, how good you are, the game is over before it starts. And, and Jimbo has a team from the coaches to the players that believe they could beat Alabama. And I'm not taking a, I, it wouldn't shock me if he did it this year. So you're hundred percent correct in one thing. Not only does the head coach have to believe it, it has to trickle down all the way down through all the other coaches, through the staff people, through the people in the cafeteria, through the whole entire building. They have to believe one message that's from Jimbo. And then it translates to the players. When I was at the North Carolina Texas A&M game at the Orange Bowl this year. I just happened to, I wasn't really watching the game. I, I was just watching Jimbo walk up and down the sideline. He had that hat on, had that little clipboard. He knew the plan. He wasn't getting too high, wasn't getting too low. When North Carolina pulled ahead of him, he was just staying steady. And that was the same belief his kids had. 
we get these dudes to the fourth quarter, we're beating them. And that's exactly what happened. And he instills that same attitude across the board because I believe one thing, he believes in recruiting. And recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. No matter where you are, you get the dudes, you got a chance to win. And he believes in it, and that's why they're going to turn it around. Whether they beat Alabama this year or not, Fish, I don't know. Dima, I'll bring up one example. I remember when Chip Kelly got to Oregon. And I remember talking to one of the coaches and, and, and one of the coaches told me this, he goes, you know what, you know, chips talking about national champions. And this coach told me, he's like, you know what, we really like to win nine, 10 games because then the expectations of the fans aren't, is not greater. Like once you win 11 games or 12 games, the fans expect that. And he was saying like, there's no pressure on us. If we win nine games or 10 games, the fans are, and I was like, no wonder why Oregon before Chip got there never went past a certain point. Like Chip was like, you know what? We're going to beat Auburn. We're going to beat these teams. And that's why they won to the level they did when Chip was there is that he got rid of that stank and that attitude and that, and, and listen, that goes from the player that if the coaches believe that, trust me, the players know it, that listen, we're satisfied and content with nine, 10 win season. Jimbo's not Jimbo wants to win a national title. Trust me. This guy wants to prove everyone wrong and say, you know what? I'm not only am I a top five coach, I feel now I'm right up there with coach Saban. And if he could get Texas A&M to a national championship or the playoffs, he's put his name in that discussion. Now he's not Saban, but he's, he, if Saban retires anytime soon, he's now taken that mantle and moved on. Fish, let me just say one thing, because yeah. people talk about legends in college football, right? They talk about, oh, this guy's a legend. This, listen, Nick Saban is on his way to become a legend. But yeah. let me tell you who I think some legends are already and the reason why. Bobby Bowden, Florida State University, 34 years. Yeah. Eddie Robinson, Grambling, 57 years. Yeah. Lavelle Edwards, BYU, 29 years. The reasons why you call these guys legends is because they went from poor to good, from good to great. Then they stayed there through the ups and downs, because sometimes you're going to go up and down, but they stayed there and continue to build their program. That's why I call those guys legends. They didn't leave after three or four years and have a headache and go somewhere else. They knew the bad times were coming. They stuck it out. They stayed through it. They regrouped and got better. That's why those guys are just, that's three of, of a few that I, I picked out. I could name more. But that's why those guys are legends. You don't see that anymore. All right. And the final, final, final bit of news we have that we're going to go into right now is, um, well, how do you pronounce his name, Fish? How, how do you pronounce this guy's name? The Tennessee linebacker. 2020? I am the T-O-T-O. T-O-T-O. 2020. Yeah, it's Henry. Henry 2020. Arguably the top player. At Tennessee last year, uh, ends up in the transfer portal. He is going to the University of Alabama. Um, you know, it's really hard to beat these guys if these guys can basically replace first-round picks with more first-round picks, you know. Well, you know, if Tennessee wasn't in a transition, I think this kid stays. But right now, you know what? Once again, we talked about it with Coach Norvell, with Marvin Wilson, and these guys – there's a new sheriff in town and I watched them this spring. I thought Tennessee actually looked pretty good. If that quarterback Harrison Bailey plays, I think they have a shot at a winning record, but a lot of these guys did not get recruited by this new staff. So it's probably better if they don't feel comfortable moving on. And, and Alabama, 
somehow seems to find like you want to talk about like hitting the gold luck potluck dinner at in the transfer portal alabama gets every they don't get anybody else's trash <laughs> you know <laughs> these guys hey we're gonna we're gonna lose uh our linebacker here uh and we're replacing them with somebody better and it's just crazy you know the the, the rich get richer but this kid's a very talented player and and um you know he's gonna make an impact right away he got coached by somebody in Jeremy Pruitt that already knows that defensive scheme because Saban runs basically the same scheme. So it's going to be an easy transition. He's not going to have to learn all new tech, you know, terminology. He's going to be able to go in there and basically probably just hit the ground running and we'll, we'll be starting against University of Miami in their opener. 2020, his stats at Tennessee are. Let's see, he led the Vols with 70, 76 tackles, 10 tackles for loss uh, as a sophomore in 2020. Uh, he was a freshman All-American. He's made 22 starts. He'll have um, tw- he'll have uh, two years, two or three years of el- – I, I don't think last year counted. So that technically gives him three years of eligibility. I'm assuming he only plans on being there for one, maybe two. But, I mean, it, it gives you a guy that has not just experience, not just productivity – but experience in your league, experience against the teams that you're playing. I, I think it's a huge, I think it's a huge recruit uh, transfer and probably a little bit understated to be honest with you. I, I, I agree. I, I just, they're, they're, you know, last year and the last couple of years, they've been good at linebacker, but this kid is probably one of the better linebackers they, they will have had. And that's crazy to say, but oh. most of their linebackers have been like big guys that um, can't really drop back into coverage and play the passing lanes. This kid is going to give them the ability to do both. So I, I think it's a big time pickup for them. Well, I'll finish by saying this. He must have a lot of confidence in himself because Alabama already has two or three linebackers there that are pretty good. One's already younger, one's already there. So that tells you a lot about the kid. I want to go to Alabama. I want to play against the best. I want to be the best. I want to compete against the best. So he must be a really, really good player to be able to do that. And like Nick Saban said earlier in this transfer portal thing, it doesn't affect us at all. We're still going to get the best player. And he did. It doesn't affect him until he needs them. That's right. He's going to get the best one. So, well, Corey, finish this up, buddy. All right. Yeah, my, my connection is awful right now. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone joining us for this episode of the Fish Cast. A nice long day. I think we caught up on a lot of stuff. We'll be back next week with more news, maybe more guests. You never know. You never we know. Actually, we actually have a guest tonight, so we'll be. I'm gonna be calling you in a little bit, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, you never know who's gonna stop by the yeah. fish cash from day to day. Uh, for Charles Fishbine and for Coach Chris Damaris, my name is Corey Long. We appreciate you checking us out on Apple or Spotify, and please give us a five star rating if you don't. I'm going to think you're just hating on us. You're not being respectful. And I'm going to send Coach Demo to your house to talk about the transfer portal for 12 hours. And that'll fix you right, okay? Take care, Stay guys. tuned, baby. Stay tuned. <laughs> See ya.